Searching for a research partner to handle the details of your next qualitative project? When we say fieldwork can handle it all, we mean it. From world-class facilities to low-incidence recruitment, their team of experts handles the details so you can stay focused on the research. Say goodbye to traditional focus group rooms and recruitment tactics. As market research has grown from the standard focus group to incorporate other innovative methodologies and technologies, fieldwork has expanded along with it. With facilities nationwide and sophisticated global recruitment services, their detail-oriented staff partners with you to achieve great insights. Focus on the research. Fieldwork will do the rest. You've joined the Digital Transformation Success Podcast. I'm your host, Priscilla McKinney. I consult with leaders around the globe and bring their teams through a digital transformation journey. Realizing digital transformation across an entire organization is key to business success. While the phrase digital transformation is often used, it's not always understood. So we start each episode with my brief working definition. Digital transformation refers to the purposeful integration of digital technology into all areas of a business. It goes beyond technological innovations in that it requires a fundamental mindset shift of how to operate internally and deliver maximum value to customers at scale. When done well, it results in a culture change to an environment where opportunities for digital technology are not missed, but are thoughtfully used to change established practices and processes for greater efficiency, flexibility, and profitability. You'll hear from consultants, trainers, executives, innovators, and thought leaders. We will avoid buzzwords, jargon, and leave behind our egos to help you take that next step toward digital transformation success. Let's dive in. Hello, and welcome back to Digital Transformation Success. I was referred to this next guest from someone who you know and love, and this is going to be a really fun romp. Scott Pansing, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Oh, it's so great to be here. Thank you for having me. Mike Ridgewell introduced us, and there are a lot of people listening right now who go, oh, that great guy? Well, let me tell you, this is going to be another great guy. So just before I dive in and get all kinds of curious about some other things we've been talking about, I just want to provide a little bit of context to my listeners about why you're on this podcast, what is really exciting to you, what's getting you going every day, and it'll help everybody understand why you're such an exciting guest for this podcast. So tell us about Scott. Well, thank you very much. I have a diverse 20 plus year career. So it's a briefly, it can be put into about three pillars, creative tech and communications slash policy. I have worked at companies like Capitol Records and the Walt Disney Company where I met Mike and most recently Google, a lot of YouTube work in there. And as far as what gets me going now, I have been like a lot of people in the world super fascinated with the generative artificial intelligence revolution that's happening. But I mean, I've been interested in artificial intelligence, I think, since IBM's Deep Blue beat Gary Kasparov in 1997 at chess. And then around maybe the turn of the century, there were some interesting voice recognition things going on. It was a company called Dragon Systems in the dial-up days. And then, of course, around the mobile revolution. We had Siri and Alexa and, and Google Assistant sort of talking to us. And so, but now we're really at a a new sort of, as they say, Cambrian explosion in artificial intelligence. And I'm fascinated with it, as are a lot of people. And I think there's a 
a lot of work to be done as far as the ethics and policy and the way that things are going to roll out so that we have a safe society with everything going on. So that's basically where I am right now. I love it. And we are so excited about generative AI over here. We, in fact, have been building bots specifically to really polish great copy for marketing, but using tone of voice, persona work, keywords, you know, and really saying, okay, well, let generative AI do some of our work. Here's the draft of what we're trying to say. And now can we really use this to very quickly polish things up, but based on all of the strategy that we've created. So over here at Little Bird Marketing, we are so excited about generative AI and what it's been doing to help us help our clients. But I specifically asked you on because I am so curious about how do we move from the excitement and keep it alive, but also really address some of the serious concerns that are out there about this technology. And you are the perfect person to really give us that perspective here. When we think about digital transformation success, we don't only want to get excited about the processes, the people, the technology, and then it's a lot of work, loveless, and we know that we all have to get a lot done. It's not a one and done or overnight or a week project or endeavor at any company. But the other piece that's kind of sitting there that I'm not saying nobody wants to talk about it, but sometimes we don't have the right person that we're talking to. So with all of the excitement over here, there are Mm -hmm. a lot of people with serious concerns about this technology. So would you mind for us breaking down some of these issues and helping us sort them? Sure. Even before we get to the issues, I think you're right. The speed is really one of the key things. So if it's like an artist that or a writer that wants to write something. They, a lot of times the process before was staring at a blank page for a while and waiting for the inspiration. And, and that no longer needs to be the case. You can get some brainstorming juices flowing. You can get some stuff from either chat GPT or any of these generative AI tools. So speed is really a, a big deal. And also speed is what's moving it so quickly through society right now. And there are probably... Oh my gosh. I mean, there must be 10 to 15 different pillars of like concerns with AI. And I think basically for me, a lot of people are talking about the common ones are like misinformation and a lot of the things that happen with that, either it's propaganda, fraud, scams. There's all kinds of ways that AI, generative AI, or all these tools, which frankly are super cheap, if not free and easy to use. And so bad actors really have access to tools that can accelerate their behavior. Something I'd like to say is that even before this generative AI revolution or with ChatGPT launching in November of last year, in 2022, fraud and scams were on a major hockey stick graph already. The acceleration of it was already happening. So the fact that now you may have seen an article where, I mean, There were already scams of like, hey, grandpa, it's Jimmy. I'm in jail. Don't tell mom and dad I need some bail. Well, now that can be done with Jimmy's voice that is deep faked. And so people that are susceptible to fraud and scams, it's it's just going to get a little crazier. So misinformation is one thing that people talk about a lot. Bias is something that people talk about a lot. Ownership and copyright, that's something that people talk about a lot with these generative AI image tools. But there are some things that I like to talk about, too, that are one of these maybe 10 or 15 pillars of concern that people don't talk about too much. There's one that's really concerning to me, which is, there's a big word for it with a couple Greek roots, anthropomorphization or the attributing human qualities to something which is not human. 
there are chatbots that mimic a relationship or feign emotion. And there are companies who even offer a chatbot who could be used in even perhaps a therapeutic way. But of course, there are also products that are offering romantic relationships, sending sexy selfies. I think they may have stopped that. But basically, there is a concern. I have a big concern in bad actors or even people, I wouldn't necessarily call it bad actors, like in the fraud scam sense of things, but certainly taking advantage of people's emotions. I just want to interject there with the bad actors and the fraud. I just want to put in my show notes a reference back to a previous Mm -hmm. episode that you would love, Scott, but I had on Lisa Wilding Brown and Littman from the survey, market research survey world and talking about the bad actors there. So it's a good reference point if you're listening right now and you're kind of wondering what does Scott mean by that? Like how could people misuse this tool in order to feign that they're somebody real when they aren't? They're really interesting ramifications there. So Mm -hmm. just a quick pause there, but yeah, go on with, with some of those other issues. Well, what's interesting to me is that sometimes it doesn't, there's a debate on whether is this alive or not. Maybe computer scientists sometimes, I mean, I think most of us understand that these machines are not alive, but it can seem so real now with the large language models that are so advanced. It really feels like, especially once they change this from chat to voice, which has been around forever. I mean, we're all chatting with chat GPT with our keyboards, but I mean, maybe by the time this episode is even published, people may be speaking to ChatGPT, right? In a back and forth, like with Siri and and Alexa. So voice is coming and that will feel even more natural to talk to these things as if they're alive. And so the thing is, whether they're alive or not, doesn't really matter. It's about people thinking that they're alive or again, playing with people's emotions and having them really feel like this is an alive thing. And that can get really crazy. I mean, even with... This company I was referring to with the the relationship bots, they did dial back after some press the ability to have the, the romantic encounters. They dialed it back. And there was a tremendous backlash online from people who were feeling real feeling of rejection. And how could this happen? I, w- I had this relationship for months with this entity. I really was into it. And now it's like as if it's been kind of lobotomized, right? Like what happened to this thing, this alive thing that they felt was alive. So again, it doesn't matter whether these things are alive or not. I don't particularly think they are. But if people feel that they are and people are able to profit off of people's emotions or sense of connection, I think there needs to be some serious thought around that and some responsibility. Okay, so let's move there. So what policies... Mm -hmm or regulations do you feel need to be prioritized in order to address some of these concerns properly? Well, just staying on this particular topic, and there are several policy areas that I think really need some serious attention, and some are getting more than others. But to stay on this topic, I think, actually, there was a a woman at the University of Oxford, I think her name was Carissa Veliz, and she published an interesting article, which was like, let's just start really simple, okay? Tatbots shouldn't use emojis. Emojis are little faces. And even though they're animated, it's, I mean, I don't know the science on this, but it makes sense, right? There's definitely science about humans looking at images of faces and that evoking certain chemicals in the brain. We see faces, even depictions of faces, and that evokes a response in humans. So if chatbots or AI does not have emotion, 
why do we necessarily let them feign emotion with emojis? So I don't know if this is right or not, but I really love the article. It's like, yeah, like very simple starting point that maybe we should all think about. Because right now, if you say to chat GPT, hey, talk to me like someone's drunk at a bar and I'm texting you or whatever, you'll start to get, it'll start to use emojis and act all funny. And that's funny and all. It's one probably harmless use case, but you see where I'm going with it. I think it might be something to think about. I love this. I'm going to play a little devil's advocate here. Great. So, okay. You it. started with kind of the therapeutic stuff. I love talking to a really good friend of mine, Dom Carter, who is at Carter Group out of Japan. They do amazing UX research and really guide people going into, into the Japanese market. Well, that's an aging market and they really are experts on products and services that serve the elderly and this idea of age tech. And so this can be physical products, things that are helping people get around, but a lot of times it is about digital technology. And you think about people who can't get out and see people and how social we are. And so it does make me think about some positive uses of these types of anthropomorphized uses of AI in order to connect with people. And so I can see the need for really coming around and codifying a structure about what are we using this for? So what are your thoughts on that? Just to really throw a wrench into the system. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) I think it's about responsible use, right? I mean, yes, there absolutely are probably very therapeutic uses for people under in certain scenarios where an AI a conversational AI could really benefit them in their life, their health, their mental health, et cetera. I agree. There must be. And it's sort of the same. I mean, these technologies are tools, right? I mean, there were people talking about like, why would you want to put on VR headset and walk around in Paris, just go to Paris? Well, not everyone can afford to go to Paris. Some people are not able physically to get out of their wheelchair or all these things. There's all kinds of uses for these technologies. So I agree. I think that it's just about being responsible. I think that when you fake emotion, though, it's getting a little like a therapy could be there with someone without being like, look, I really love you or something that's sort of taking advantage of them. So I agree with you. I do think that there are certainly all kinds of wonderful uses for these tools but we just have to, like you said, it's, I don't think we can just expect all of the companies around the world to be responsible. So uh, no. something's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Let's agree that that's a big hell no. <laughs> there needs to be a structure, right? There needs to right. be some, there needs to be a little bit of a framework around. That's where I am with it. Okay. So this is a point where I really want to highlight the podcast that you've been working on and I'll definitely put it in the show notes, but it's AI quick, but it's really great. And for those people who are crashing their head going, I really need to get my head around AI and where it's going. Go check this out. I'll put it in the show notes. It's AI quick bits. But from that experience, from everybody you talk to, to research, to interview and to provide this information on your podcast, Can you kind of distill for me what you're hearing and what you feel is like rising to the top of the issues? Before we get too far, let's talk about this show's sponsor. As a business professional, mastering social media is no longer a nice-to-have set of skills, but a fundamental need in order to advance your career and exceed goals. A lot of people are interested in learning social selling techniques for revenue generation, network building, and maybe even to advance their thought leadership. But what is actually needed is a practical and repeatable system to digitally transform whole teams. Teams that 
commit to creating meaningful digital communities and learn how to leverage social media to turn relationships into sales online far outperform their competitors. And companies that commit to investing in their teams to increase their personal social influence reap the benefit of increased brand awareness and positive upticks in company reputation. Social media is natural, it's cost-effective, and it's an easily leveraged tool at anyone's disposal. What is lacking is an effective and proven system that trains sales, marketing, HR, and executives alike to move from social selling to complete digital transformation and into digital dominance. Our 12-week social selling course is a practical, hands-on experience. It's taken over time specifically to address the needed mindset shifts, the changes in habits and behaviors, and all of this while implementing new skills. You will learn how to network effectively and at scale, build rapport with targeted audiences, expand your influence, and become the go-to authority in your area of expertise. So this is not a quick tips and tricks for LinkedIn success flash in the pan. It's a commitment to changing the way you show up online and experience career-shifting breakthroughs. This is expert instruction in small cohorts with personalized one-on-one coaching. If you're interested, go learn more at littlebirdmarketing.com slash social hyphen influence. Yes. Well, right now, when you asked what policies, what are the issues, the, the real hot button topics right now, there are a couple. One is certainly around ownership and copyright. So you have these generative AI tools that create images and even video now, even with a text prompt. I mean, we are so close to someone being able to just upload their script and then basically a rough draft of their movie coming back. And maybe they won't like all of the choices that the AI made, the shot choices or the angles of cinematography, but it will be something that they can, again, have like not starting with a blank slate, they'll get some ideas back from here's how your movie could be shot. I mean, this is crazy, right? So the images that come back are based on some training. The models are trained by data. And right now you have artists or even Getty images saying like, hey, you're using our stuff to train your models. And then people pay a subscription to use your products to have images come back. And those images, it's really, I mean, I'm not a lawyer. It's basically a question of fair use versus copyright or or intellectual property. That's really going to shake out somehow. And I think just to pardon me for going on a bit of a tangent here, but I do think that the creative space with generative AI, the big companies are going to take pause until that really shakes out. Like you won't see Disney using mid-journey to create something when perhaps there's some litigation down the road for the IP that was used to, to create this. So, but you will see much smaller companies or even individuals using these tools. So copyright, Intellectual property ownership is definitely a hot button issue. There's also going back to misinformation. There is a real movement, many fronts, all kinds of people are asking for, can we get some kind of watermarking or some kind of system that tells me not just for AI, but for content in general, there's a piece of content. I'm watching a video. What is this? Has this been fact-checked or not? And by whom? Was it made by a human? Was it made by an AI? There's also 
again, pardon me for going on a tangent, but AI is a bit of a marketing phrase, right? There's all kinds of things of levels of AI. When you use Photoshop to just remove a cat from the background that you don't want, that's a form of AI. Or if you're using a video camera and the image is like shaky and there's an image stabilizer going on, that's sort of a form of AI. Things that we consider normal now used to be called AI. Google Maps getting you around was a form of AI. So anyway, that watermark or whatnot could say like, here is the level of AI that was used here. Is it deep fake or was it just that they use like image stabilization, something like that? So that's another one. I love that. And even thinking about just your own experience of remember when our phones really started recognizing faces of our loved ones and saying, oh, you're looking for an image of Sawyer. Here you go. Here are all the pictures you've took of him. Mm -hmm. This use of AI to filter and soar and really make our lives easier and really move us past grunt work, which the stick helped us evolve as a species, right? Mm -hmm. So tools, 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 right? So we don't want to hate the stick. I mean, it got us where we are now, right? Pretty Mm -hmm. far. But it is interesting when you really stop and think of how pervasive it is in our lives and understand what those ramifications are. Now we think about our phone. Well, who else has that image and who else now can use that photo? And now there was a that whole thought about like where our privacy is. People understood it when they're thinking about, wait a minute, I had a Facebook account that was all free, but yet I've given up my rights to things. Where does that play? I think that's so interesting to get people just thinking and engaged in better conversations about what AI means for us in a day-to-day life. This isn't just affecting people and really top echelons of companies and lawyers up here. And this is you and me every day, what we're doing. So I want to talk a little bit about that because you alluded to this at the very beginning that what we're doing with AI is moving so fast. Mm. Yes. 100%. And also, I love that you said the uh, tools, right? Because they are all tools. I mean, when the telephone was invented, and I don't know this for a fact, but I'm just assuming that yes, it was used to help someone, but also like someone picked up the phone soon after that and said, like, I need you to need you to take care of a guy, break his kneecaps or something, right? <laughs> right. So, and we also got to use it for really solid pranks. So there's a lot in between. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. It's funny you say that, Scott, because people get on my case sometimes over my career about social media and how much they hate it, whatever. And I was like, yeah, social media, like as if it's so new. And I'm just like, yeah, the telegraph, the original social media. Totally. <laughs> it's just tools and they're progressing, but they are progressing at a very fast rate. So give us a little so bit of your fast. idea What should we be doing? How do we deal with this pace? Well, I do think it's refreshing that there are certain entities that do seem to be paying attention. For example, the Federal Trade Commission seems to be paying attention. They have a blog and they are blogging about AI relatively frequently. Every week or so, they have a post. And so I think that's refreshing to see. I do think that there is awareness in government spaces there are definitely critics of the technology. So there's huge, I mean, not only is it moving quickly, but I mean, for months now, every day, everyone's talking about AI. Oh, there's other things people are talking about, but boy, it's not only moving quickly because there's new product launches every day, but there's always a new news clip, a 60 minutes, this, that, and the other. It's constant where you have all these viewpoints going back and forth. And I do think it's very healthy. And, but the speed, the velocity at which these tools are moving And it's so perceptible, right? Like MidJourney, for example, this text-to-image tool for, you know, basically once the chat GPT train started moving and people started paying attention also to MidJourney, 
you just type in a prompt and images would come out and you could really tell there had a certain look, had a certain AI look. And they still do a bit, but once they released version five, it was really noticeable. And I actually had a, a post go viral on LinkedIn very recently where I just told Midjourney with a very simple prompt. And I'd love to talk about prompts too and this whole like prompt engineering and new form of a vocation. You could be a prompt engineer. But I basically just said, you know, Joe Biden, Donald Trump laughing, playing golf together, photography, midday, direct sunlight, blah, blah, really not that long. And the images that came back were striking. I mean, they did look to me and to graphic designers and people in the field. They could tell, yes, this is fake or I see this. But there used to be this problem with fingers with mid-journey. Oh, yeah, well, they can't do hands. It's got six or seven fingers or faces are really strange. These images came back. Joe Biden's hand has five fingers. They're fixing these things quickly. And to the untrained eye, because like you said, it's happening to everyone now. It's not just the techies that are aware of this stuff. This is really, this is moving and it has real applications and people are seeing it affect their lives. Whereas maybe with crypto and NFT and Web3, it's been super exciting for years, but it hasn't really gotten a lot of traction in the main public space, right? So AI's already got traction and people who were maybe unfamiliar with looking at these images were kind of freaked out or scared at my post. Now, I stated right at the beginning, my first sentence on the post was, these are not photographs. And I posted them to draw awareness to how fast things are moving, how to be skeptical. Bad actors can really use this. And we need to, as we've been talking about, create some policies and some frameworks here so that we're safe during, whether it's fraud, scams, upcoming elections, et cetera. So yeah, the speed, you could talk about the speed of the language models. I mean, GPT-4 and these large language models, you can start to ask them to code for you, not just have a conversation. I mean, basically it starts with like, oh, kids are going to write essays. And that was kind of the first chatter. But now you could say like, look, I have no idea how to make an iPhone app. Help me out, chat GPT. And it can get you pretty far. It really is moving. And so that again gets to the point of like, well, if it can code, Bad actors can use it to maybe start to hack into vulnerable systems as opposed to make an iPhone app for themselves, right? So buckle up, as I like to say on my oh, podcast. Oh, my goodness. Well, my I podcast, gonna, by the way. Hmm, I am going to put a link to this post that you made on LinkedIn because it's absolutely terrifying. And I know that you put <laughs> it at the very beginning. These are not photographs. They were generated by Midjourney version five. But I'm telling you how many people looked at the photographs and they were so stark and so shocking that these yeah. two people would be together that they don't read. Interesting you say that. First off, someone did something similar because in the news recently, Trump said, I think I'm going to get arrested. And someone actually used Midjourney to make photos of what it looked like if Trump were getting arrested. But they put them on Twitter as a joke and they didn't say they were a joke. And it went off like wildfire. And that person was, I believe, banned from Midjourney. So I still have my account, I think, because I did it somewhat responsibly. But I think another interesting thing that we're getting to here is that it kind of almost doesn't matter if people know it's fake or not. Like if there's a a big election and you're a few days before an election and someone uses some tool and makes Joe Biden riding a tiger through the who knows what. And people might say like, oh, yeah, that, that was fake. They know it's fake. But the entertainment value of it or the emotion that it evokes, I mean, the fact that it can look so real that I don't know if Joe Biden riding the tiger would actually sway an election. I have no idea. But you could <laughs> see that content could be created that people know is fake, but that could still have real impacts on elections. So. I think yeah. it's uh, 
a hot topic for sure. Oh, this is so crazy. So if you are liking these hot topics, I do want to come back to this and I am going to shamelessly plug your podcast right now, Scott. So tell people a little bit about it because this is, in my opinion, something we all need to be talking about more, but it is better when we have discussions and people are more informed. So tell us a little bit about why you started the podcast and I'll be sure to include it in the show notes so people can reference over there. And they're nice little like short, short tidbits. So tell us a little bit about what you were trying to do there. (laughs) Yeah, I appreciate it. That's really kind of you. Basically, I started the podcast first as more of a how-to guide, or if you would like to start using these tools, let me get you started. And my first episode is a bit of a walkthrough with ChatGPT and with MidJourney. And the idea at first was I'm going to do each episode, and they are short, they're 12 to 15 minutes or so, which I think is I like snackable content. I do love podcasts, but boy, and I've been listening to a long time. I kind of have a hard time with the one and two hour episodes anymore. Although I can talk to you right now for three hours. Let's keep <laughs> yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine for us, but I do like that. I think that's what's so cool about you naming it AI QuickBits is that I already know what I'm getting. And honestly, and we talk about like how fast the world of AI is moving. I could only see you doing small increments so that we can move on to the next issue. So yeah, they won't be uh, really relevant to listen to in eight months, maybe who knows, or even who knows how long next week, but the podcast format quickly changed because as I first was like, I'm going to curate a bunch of tools that are in the market. Like I have an episode on maybe music or things like that, take a topic or a category. And I was sort of like, I'm going to say how to use these tools and I'm going to highlight some tools in the marketplace. Well, it quickly became apparent to me that how to use these tools, many of them, like you type in a text box or something like that, or maybe you have to use Discord or things, but, but essentially the interface is really not, you don't really have to explain it very much. And if I'm saying, here are these startups or these tools in the marketplace for this particular genre, first off, there are hundreds, like with music, there's just so many, I can kind of just go through a highlight 12 or something. And well, they may not be the ones that are really rise to the top in five months. So what really happened was I started asking questions like how were these discussions that we're having today? And it quickly became like, okay, there's so many unanswered questions and ethics and the policy and all this stuff is super fascinating. And so now the episodes have sort of evolved into a bit of, I don't know how to explain it, but they definitely, I still take categories like music or my most recent episode is about chatbots and conversation. So it's still kind of categorically organized, but it's not so much like a a how-to or a walkthrough anymore. It's really touching them on all these issues. Okay, so I have a really pressing question about your podcast, podcaster to okay. podcaster. So yeah. do you use ChatGPT to write your show notes for the podcast? I don't really. I have one episode where I actually, <laughs> I have one episode where I was like, I'm going to deep fake myself, where I basically said, okay, not only did I use the, an AI tool by a company called Eleven Labs, which is totally crazy, where you can upload audio sample of yourself. And since we're podcasters, we clearly have plenty of materials. So I took some couple minutes of me talking, you upload it. And then next thing, and then basically it's like, got it. And you just type anything after that and it can say it in your voice. So I was like, okay, I'm going to have an episode of my podcast where it's not really me recording with a microphone where I just type the script and put into 11 labs, but I wanted to take it even further. And I was like, well, I don't even want to write the script. So I go to chat GPT and I was like, 
explain the debate between, I think I did free will versus determinism and it spit back something. And I basically put that into the 11 labs and that was it. And it does sound like me at sometimes and sometimes it doesn't, but, and it's a pretty short episode. No one wants to listen to that for 15 minutes. That's more of a five or six minute episode, but it was really to test and experiment with the tools. Now I do write the episodes myself, but I will say I do use chat GPT sometimes for thought starters, as we were saying, like uh, brainstorming, like, Hey, I'm going to talk about this what are the main themes that are usually covered? Because I don't want to miss something, right? I don't right. want to be like, oh yeah, I thought, I didn't think about that. Or so, so I, I mean, I think everyone, everyone really should at least familiarize yourself with these tools and try to incorporate them into your workflow, your daily lives. Like it will help your efficiency. We keep talking about speed, right? I mean, do you remember that phrase, by the way? And I talked with Mike about this over lunch recently. It's really, really funny. There used to be this, or there still is, I think, this phrase of like, you can have two out of three. You can have cheap, you can have fast, or you can have quality, right? Or good. And now that's kind of blown out of the water because it's cheap. This stuff is cheap. 11 labs, that voice synthesis thing, that's five bucks a month. Mid journeys like starts at 10 or 20 bucks a month. Chat GPT is free. They have a pro model, but a lot of this stuff is free to cheap. Then you have fast. We talked about that already. This stuff is moving at lightning speed. And now good or quality is totally debatable. It's good enough, that's for sure. Or it's, it's definitely better than before. You can do things cheap, fast, and pretty good. It's debatable, but right. a lot of people are going to argue like this is good quality or good enough for sure to roll out or at least to start me off. I mean, so as fast, cheap, and good, is it's crazy. Now you can yeah. have more than two. As a fan of the shitty first draft for most of the content that I create, it is a shitty first draft. And of course, you have real concerns over brand voice and messaging and persona understanding and just relevance of the content. But I think a super fun, I will put that one in the show notes. I thought it was a super fun episode. It's called A Little Experimenting and it was back in mm -hmm. February. So we'll link that in the show notes for everybody. But Scott, thank you so much for coming on and just giving us maybe some of the bad news that people don't want to hear about, but it's really important for us to understand as we experience success in digital transformation, we're really going to have to hone in on some of these more complicated issues. And this means we're going to need to rely on each other for the expertise and really this human creative thought and really for us to extrapolate, is this a direction we want to go? Is this a life we want to lead? Is this a society we want to create? And I love those questions. Let's just have more of them. I really appreciate you having me on. I would totally agree. I do think this, as a final thought, I would just say that creativity and critical thinking are basically going to be way over, are going to over-index now. You need to be creative and you need to be a critical thinker because a lot of disruptions that are happening are going to make those two things much more important. So that would be my final thought. And this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. You heard all of that here on the Digital Transformation Success Podcast. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>